Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. It is so good to be with you today. We are so, so excited for what God has for us today. Um, it's, it's my privilege to be able to turn our service over to uh, Melissa, the WM team, and Terry for Breaking Free Ministry. Um, I, I know that you're going to be blessed. I, I want to say a couple of things before I do that, though. I want to make sure that everybody knows that tonight it's the WM pie auction, the women's ministry pie auction, but it's not just for women. It's for everybody. And so we want everybody, man, woman, boy, girl, everybody to be here because it's going to be an awesome, awesome night, and you are going to be thoroughly blessed to be a part of it. I know this for a fact. Um, we are in the middle of our series called This Is Us, and we've been talking through some core values. And the core value that Melissa is going to talk about today is that people far from God matter to God. And we're going to try to put uh, um, some flesh on it in a different way than what we typically do through uh, um, uh, Terry and, and what Melissa is speaking. But before I turn it over to Melissa, I just want to make sure that everybody, everybody knows what a treasure we have in our pastor's wife here at this church. Honestly. I tell her all the time, and I'm not lying, that I wish that I had the natural strength and the leadership ability that she does. I get a lot of credit for what happens here at this church, but the rock, the spirit, the heart, and the strength behind everything that happens is Melissa. And Melissa, you are awesome, and we as a church are blessed beyond measure to have you here with us. You're the best. I love you. Do you want to kiss? <laughs> okay, go ahead. All the years used to say, kiss, 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 okay. kiss. Okay. I just thought it was a moment. We missed it. but uh. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. So I'm excited for this day, and I'm so excited that Terry took the weekend to be with us. Her passion for this ministry to women is so evident. And I have to tell you, when I spoke with her a couple months ago, she lit something inside of me that's been sleeping for years. There hasn't been a day that's gone by since speaking to you in February that I haven't thought about you and that I haven't thought about human trafficking and I haven't thought about the strip club here in our own town, Hastings. I've talked to Terry a couple times now and I only have had a glimpse into what Breaking Free does and I love it. I'm so thankful that women like Terry are being raised up to be a voice for those that have no voice and to provide a chance at life when only death surrounds them. Thank you, Terry, for what you do, and thank you for coming to be with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Saints. And I want to thank you two for having me here, and, and my friend Don Hunt McCoy, too, that I met 20 years ago um, in a discipleship program in Minneapolis. First of all, so you hear a lot of terms out there that you might be kind of, you might wonder, what does all this mean? You hear sex trafficking, you hear sexual exploitation, you hear prostitution. What's the difference between all of this? What does this mean? Okay, the, the, the federal definition for human trafficking is when a third party benefits from a sexual encounter between two people. So you have the John or the trick, you have, that's the man that purchases, then you have the woman who 95% of all women that are involved in prostitution don't want to be there, they didn't have a choice, they were either groomed into it, they were 
80%, let me tell you, at Breaking Free, we've seen over 3,000 women in the last eight years. So my stats are coming out of that. We also have a John School where we're helping to stop the demand. So if a man is arrested for purchasing a girl that's 17 or 16, which is huge, um, he's going to get a felony now. Amen? Uh, but if a man purchased someone over 18, they can come to our John School. So I would love to talk to you all about this, policies uh, and different legislation that we're trying to move forward. Um, and I'd like to bring some of this to Nebraska, too, because five years ago in Minnesota, if a girl was 17 years old and she was caught in sex trafficking, she would be brought to juvie. And she would have um, a, a criminal charge her whole life. Um, that's insane. 17, 15, 14-year-old. So now um, they are not charged. They are brought to social services, and the state of Minnesota has what we call safe harbor administration. So anyone that's 17 or younger gets all the help. They get a place to stay, and we can help them get out of sex trafficking. But once they turn 18, they're chopped liver. It doesn't apply. However, most places in Minnesota, law enforcement doesn't arrest women anymore because they know that they're victims. They know that they're victims. The 80, like I said, 80% of the girls that are involved in prostitution, sex trafficking, were sexually abused before the age of 10. Their mothers may have said, be quiet. Deal with it. I went through it, which is generational prostitution. Other times, the abuser is threatening that woman and saying, I'll take away your economic stability. You will no longer have any money, so you better be quiet. Or if you don't be quiet, I'm going to start molesting some of the other children. All kinds of different ways. But you know a child can't run away from home at, at eight, nine years old. But by the time they turn 12, 13, 14, they can. And within the first 48 hours, they're more likely to be picked up by a perpetrator than they are social services or law enforcement. So then becomes the initiation, recruitment, and enslavement, that whole process. And tonight during the pie contest, um, I can talk a little bit more about what that is. Um, but it's, it's, it's um, pretty heinous, a lot of the things I see. So this year at Breaking Free, we had uh, the Super Bowl. Of course, we weren't in it again. Um, dang it. And I'm so glad it was so cold. Freezing. No one's ever going to want to come back. Um, but so the state of Minnesota allowed us to keep our offices open for 10 days leading up to the Super Bowl because there's a myth that uh, the Super Bowl is the number one prostitution related event of the year. It is not. Let me tell you what is boxing matches in Vegas. Hunting in the hunting seasons. When men go to northern Minnesota, they go around here to different places um, where they're going off to these camps and there's no, are wives along? Not usually. So in, many, in Minnesota, in northern Minnesota, we know that there's a lot of trafficking during that time. Then in Williston, North Dakota, are you all familiar with the Williston Basin, the Bakken? Um, area where there was all the oil drilling for years and years and years. Well, there were man camps there, and there was over 50,000 men there in a small town. So buses and buses of women were shipped to that area, and they were servicing the man camps. 
Again, most of the women that were put on these buses were not um, given the choice. On the way, uh, on the drive here between Des Moines and Lincoln, I saw a lot of truck stops. I saw truck stops that said truckers only. And then I also saw some cars there. There's a lot of prostitution that happens at truck stops. And what we call that, which is a horrible, horrible thing, is we call those girls that have to service. And by the way, those are the girls that are usually young. So when you hear of girls that are trafficked and, and recruited at a very young age, 12, 13, 14, they're the ones that are going to be serviced at the, at the truck stops. And they're called lot lizards. What a horrible name. What a horrible name. So anyways, um, back to the Super Bowl. I'm all over the place, Don. Um, 30 years of addiction will do that. Um, and many of us are on drugs and alcohol. We want to be high. When you're servicing five to 10 men a day, you want to be high. Or you dissociate, you want to dissociate. And whether somebody was addicted first and used as a pawn into this field, or they got addicted after, does it really matter? No, because they're using that vulnerability. This is about people that are vulnerable. We have women, a lot of women that have autism. We have women that have fetal alcohol syndrome, depression, anxiety, coupled with being abused their whole life, or not having <coughs> parents, <coughs> parents um, <coughs> around. Um, we know that the majority of our folks are disenfranchised. I was not. I grew up in a family whose father was a physician. I was raped at 15 by a boss who was 28 years old. He was dating Miss Minnesota, Sandra Bernhagen at the time. No way could I tell anyone, no way would anyone believe that that happened to me. So my virginity was taken from me. Right, right of passage to get married as a virgin was taken away from me. That's everything, the core value I believed in. I did not tell my family. I didn't want to shun my family or shame my family. So I lived with it, and the seed grew and grew and grew. So um, back to the drop-in center. I'm trying to, real hard to get there. So um, the drop-in center, during the Super Bowl, they, were, uh, they allowed us to stay open for 10 days leading up to the Super Bowl. Um, we had 94 men arrested during the Super Bowl because we had 26 different law enforcement agencies come to the Twin Cities to help out. 94 men were arrested. Of those 94 men, 90 were from Minneapolis, St. Paul. So that just shows you that there wasn't a huge increase. But we had our drop-in center that they let us take these 15 mattresses, blow-up mattresses. We can't use real bed because bed bugs, whatever, you know. So we get all the sheets and my pillow donated, and we had all of our rooms full, 14 beds full, and then some, because what I didn't anticipate was some of these ladies had kiddos with them. So I get calls at, like, uh, Thursday night, uh, Terry, I got a, you know, a nine-month-old baby with this gal. What should we do? Well, bring them in. Of course, we're going to take care of them. But after those 10 days were up, which we were at capacity for all 10 days, the city wouldn't allow us to do that anymore. So what we did was we kept the drop-in center open because we would be shut down um, if we didn't. So people can come between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. While they're there, they can sleep. This is what they do because we have someone every single day. We, eat, we feed them. They can take a shower. We'll even do their laundry. 
We give them a dignity kit. We give them bra and underwear and other things. We have a donation closet where they can get um, clothing and stuff like that. But more importantly, they can just sleep. They could sleep. When I was in the life, I used to have to walk around. And that's what I was telling Melissa. I, one, day I, one night I was so freezing. It was in February. I didn't have anywhere to go. I was walking the streets, and I just said, I was crying. I said, Jesus, take me now, please. Take me. I can't do this. I don't know how to get out of this. Take me home now, please. And within about 30 seconds, a car came up with a friend of mine, and I got into that car, and I was safe for that one day. But you know, I woke up the next morning empty. It wasn't until I got out of this life, and that's a whole other long, long story that I can share later. But praise God, we got out of it. So right now, all I know, we have three 18-unit apartment buildings. They're always at capacity. So I, we, we, and, and it makes us the largest provider for permanent housing in the United States. And isn't that sad that there aren't places in Florida, California, and other big cities where there's a lot of trafficking? They have what they call permanent housing, but that means 18 months. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're used to being homeless your whole life and somebody tells you you have 18 months to live in this place, what am I going to think of tomorrow? I have eight, 17 months and so many days. I have 16 months and so many days. I'm not doing that anxiety to our women. They can stay there as long as they're participating in the plant. I mean, with the, in the program and not doing, you know... Um, recruiting or getting back into the life. So with your help, we are really hoping to sustain this shelter so we can give people at least eight hours of rest and of food and shower. And then we do case management. We have pro bono attorneys that come in every week. We have pro bono bono therapists that come in every week to meet with our girls. We have parenting classes. None of our girls have parenting skills. You know, so we're teaching them something new. We're not trying to give these ladies their life back. We're trying to build a life. And through Jesus, that's the only way I know how to do this. I could not do this job if it wasn't for Jesus. You got to have that agape love. It's hard to love pimps. It's hard to love Johns. It's hard to love tricks. It's even hard to love my clients that are always saying stuff to me. They don't always realize that I'm trying to help them get out of the life. They may call me out of my name, but when we got God's agape love people, right? We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And thank you for your help. Thank you, Terry. Thank you. So tonight we'll have our pie auction at 6 p.m. and we need everyone to come back and bid lots of money on these pies. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But like we said, we're gonna, all of our money is gonna go to Breaking Free and to help establish that drop-in center. Um, basically, you know, that nine to five workday um, and just provide them with needs that they wouldn't have on the streets, basically. And another thing that I love that they're doing is um, what Terry can provide for them is relationship. She can, it opens the door for her to have, for them to have relationship with her staff. And um, Terry has classes and resources available for those women to give them hope for real life. And on top of that, Terry has Jesus. And that's what they really need. And she's passionate about people who are far from God. 
So this takes us to our fourth North Shore's fourth core value. People far from God matter to God. And this is why I love what Breaking Free does. It helps women break free from modern-day slavery and lets them know that they matter. And I'll tell you, every one of us has something that we need to break free from. Every one of us has things that in our life that restrict us from what God has for us and what he wants for us and the way he intends for us to live. So I want to show you a quick picture from three years ago. This is me, and I'm preaching three years ago at a Mother's Day service. And this is the last time that I was on the stage to preach a sermon, basically. Um, so this was a great day. You see the stage is um, decorated with butterflies. It was one of my favorite designs that we ever did. And on Mother's Day, we at the end of service, we gave every woman in the, the building a butterfly in an envelope and they got to release those afterwards with their families or whatever and it was really fun and uh my kids cried because the birds swooped down and ate the butterflies <laughs> because they were really like docile from being in the envelope and they're like oh what do I do and so the birds and my kids are like no you know we had so many, and it was really fun it was a really good day um after the service and after we released our butterflies, because we did ours here outside, and because uh, there were so many of them left over, because um, you had to buy like hundreds of them, hundreds of them, so we had quite a bit left over. Anyways, afterwards, my family takes me to Earl May, and we picked out a family, like a tree for Mother's Day, and um, we picked out like this really beautiful apple blossom, and it grew these hot pink flowers and they only lasted like 24 to 48 hours because the hot Nebraska wind blows them to shreds but they're pretty while they last but it was a really really good day and um I'll tell you the devil hates good days and so early that same evening and for the next 48 hours emails started coming to my husband and um, it was dozens of emails within 48 hours, dozens, and we printed off every email. And it was like a file folder of dozens of pages of printed paper from a sick man who had come with his young family only two times. And this was legitimate stranger danger. Um, his emails were twisted, vulgar, perverted, and disgusting. I'm going to stick really close to my notes here. He was married with a child and a young pregnant wife, and he referenced my children by name because of Facebook and solicited me for things I would never offer to any man other than my husband. He quoted scripture, cross-referencing it to my body and arguing why Chris should share him with me. Two of the scariest things in the email was him um, calling my child out by name because we shared a child with the same name. And the second thing was that he told Chris if he didn't share these emails with me, he would chastise him severely. And so I was very fearful for Chris's safety. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm calling the schools. Don't let my children leave with anybody, you know. It's very scary. So isn't that like a housewife, though, to be more scared for everyone around you rather than <laughs> the person who's addressing you? So, um... He talked about his addiction to pornography and detailed his habits while he indulged in his addiction that he felt connected him to me because in my sermon, I very, very briefly talked about pornography. And I will make a side note, I have never looked at pornography, but this connected us, I guess. Um, 
These were very descriptive, sick emails, and I won't share any more details about this part. But Chris and I afterwards have countless conversations, you know, after, for weeks we're having conversations, him saying, you will never preach again, ever, because he's very protective of me. And me saying, yeah, I'm not going to be, and if I do, I will never mention sex again or pornography. And here we are three years later. (laughs) But I told Chris, um, you know, I'd tell you guys, please don't send us any emails. And if you feel like you want to, you can send them to www.idontwantyoemail.com. <laughs> That's a joke. But really, don't send us any emails. We don't want them. But we'll fast forward, and I'm going to go kind of quick here. We'll fast forward now to mid-February this year, three years. And I talked to Terry because we were, I reached out to Terry. Dawn knew her, like, like she said, from the Teen Challenge. And... Um, Dawn knew her, and we've been talking. What are we going to do? We haven't done a pie auction in a couple years. What should we do? We need to do more. We need to do more. And, uh, you know, I just, as a group, we kept feeling sex trafficking, human trafficking, something. we got to do something there. Um, and so I talked to Terry and the, talked to her about the possibility of raising funds for them, and something just started to stir inside me, and God was moving inside of me. And... Mid-March, we hosted here a marriage conference for pastors and their wives, and it was just for the state of Nebraska for our district. And um, we had a speaker, and I'll, I'll tell you, I hate marriage conferences. I don't like conferences, period. But I really hate marriage conferences for pastors and their wives. But um, the speaker had cheated on his wife, and we knew that this was what he was, you know, this was his story. He had cheated on his wife, so I was super reluctant to go because every marriage conference, it seems like it's the same when they cheat, is if the pastor's wife does this and this and this and this, then your pastor husband won't cheat on you. It's all up to you for him to be, you know, to, to do to obey and do a good job and, and to do what he's supposed to do. It's all up to me. So I was super crabby about going to the conference, super crabby and crabby that I had to go because we were hosting it. And uh, so at the end of the first night, they give us a rock, and it's a rock much smaller than this, but they give us a rock and, and they tell us, you know, that this rock represents, you know, whatever you're dealing with, whether it's judgment, um, the past, anger, resentment, unforgiveness, and um, basically we all hold our our rock, uh, you know, like this, ready to stone whoever we want to stone, whoever our transgressions are against. Um, Just a lot like the spiritual leaders ready to stone the adulterous woman, we all have a rock. And I know what they're going to say, you know, give me your rock, lay your rock down. So they they tell us, bring your rock down. And say a prayer, confess, do your rock, whatever. And I, I'm, the whole time I'm like, I know they're going to ask me to lay my rock down. I don't even know what my rock is. And I'm just like, I don't, I hate the stupid rock. Like, <laughs> and what if I like my rock? Like, then I'm starting to feel like, hey, this is my rock. Like, I think that I might like this rock and I want to keep it. I might have someone I want to stone, usually you probably. <laughs> but... <laughs> So I've got my rock, and I, you know, we have to lay a rock down. So, because we're hosting it, so we go and we lay our rock down, and we say a prayer, and we go back, and we go home, whatever. So I laid my rock down, people. Stop judging me. (laughs) 
So Saturday, the conference is continuing. It's like a 24-hour thing. The conference is con continuing, and we get to the end, and they want us to take communion as a couple together. And um, we're getting ready for communion, and I tell them, because we're, we're doing it privately, and I tell them, I said, I think I know what my rock is, and I'm ready to talk about it. I told them, I'm afraid. Every day I'm paralyzed by fear. It's from your job. It's from people. It's when I'm home alone. I'm scared to death. I can barely do anything in our house without feeling scared. It's just pouring out of me. I think it started three years ago with the pervy emails and has continued. Things keep piling on top of my fear and it's just become super paralyzing. I can hardly move forward. I have no room for anything in my heart but fear. Every comment, complaint, conversation, looks, people, leaving the church, it just all keeps adding on. Three years ago, it was dozens of emails from my pervy stalker. This is what we called him in our house. We don't call him by name. Mostly because we don't want to accidentally say it to somebody, which we don't really talk about it, but we can't really talk about it. Um, two years ago... I started getting like major shoulder issues. I can barely move my arm. I couldn't lift my arm like above this. And um, we lost some staff. That was a rough transition. And then a year ago, our door was kicked in by two men when we were home. Thank God it was Chris's day off. So I'm telling Chris all of this, like I'm just like piling it on him. I'm in constant fear. I'm in constant pain. And the fear, I feel like it's taking me farther away from myself. It's taking me away from my family, and it's ta taking me away from my God. I told him I'm stalled out. I haven't moved forward. I'm just stuck here. And I feel like God's asking me to move forward, and I don't necessarily know how. Chris just kind of said, I feel it. I understand. I, You know, he's right there with me. He's He's going through all the same things I am, but just differently. And he said, let's start working on it. So a couple weeks later, we, we leave our marriage counseling, and it was a good, it was a good. I felt lighter when I left. I was stupid for being mad at the stupid conference. But, and I really did lay down my rock. And one thing I didn't say, that was in my notes. I must have skipped over it, but it's good. So I need to rewind. When every time that I've laid something down physically, even when I'm not ready, God has always moved inside my heart. He's always been able to move when I've taken that step to move. But a couple weeks later, we were in the middle of the Do Hard Things series. It seems so quiet in here. That's kind of like paranoia. <laughs> I don't know how you do this every week. So a three-year break was good. Ugh, sorry. I got to use my Kleenex here. So a couple weeks later, we were in the middle of the Do Hard Things series. And every sermon challenged me that, that series. But after RJ's sermon, Chris and I were sitting together. It was, you know, we don't get to sit together very often. So we were sitting together. And afterwards, you know, I turned to him and I, and I kind of just started confessing to him, like God had been speaking to me. Some things were going on the last few weeks inside of me. And I was Again, ready to talk about him. So I turned to him and I confessed that I'd been feeling like God was telling me the direction I needed to move and even like some direction that he was giving me for the pie auction. 
So I tell him, you know, God's been speaking to me every day um, about what I'm supposed to do personally. Since talking to Terry, I said, and, and since the marriage conference, I told him every day I think of the strip club here in town and the women that are working there and how I fear for their future if they stay there. Every day I think of Terry, and when I laid my head down at night, I think of the children as young as six years old whose mothers have shot them up, you know, with drugs solidifying their their life in their second and third generation life in prostitution. And, you know, when I, when I heard Terry say six years old to me on the phone, I immediately thought of my own girls and my own children. And I'm in the kids' wing a lot, and I... I promise you, I saw kids' faces coming by and giving me high fives and fist bumps and asking me if they could go to the bathroom or get a Band-Aid. Or, you know, I'm, I'm seeing all these kids' faces because every age to me, with me working in the kids from zero to whatever, 12, every age has a face with me. And every face matters. And I just, I couldn't get it out of my head. So I saw dozens of faces go through my head, and I told Chris, we have to do something. I have to do something. So I told him, I have a dream. I said, I have a dream, a dream bigger than I've ever had before, and I dream of $20,000 for these women. And that's almost double, more than double, what we've ever made, and I know it's crazy, but... Um, Chris just kind of stared at me, you know, because I've given him a lot of information, a lot of information. He's kind of staring at me, and he's kind of teary-eyed, and his eyes are glazed over. And, you know, we're still coming off the marriage conference where I'm just telling him, I'm scared. <laughs> and then I'm telling him, you know, I'm going to preach. We're going to ask for $20,000. Like, God's moving. Something's happening. i got to do something. And Chris just kind of said, and he said I made him sound unsupportive, but it wasn't like I knew he was taking it in, but the whole time I'm having another conversation in my head, like, he thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> he thinks I've lost my mind. Like, I have to convince him that we, he doesn't think we can do it. Maybe he's mad at me because I'm going to ask these people for that much money. Like, you know, and all these things are going on. And, and, uh, and then I'm thinking, like I said, he doesn't think I can do it. I'm going to have to convince him that we're going to do this. And I'm thinking, he's the one that's telling me to do hard things for crying out loud. Like, it's just, like, he's telling me. So, so we have to separate rather quickly because it was in between services and we're right down here talking, you know. And so I head off to the kids' wing, and he does whatever he does, because I don't know what he does on Sundays. But he does whatever he does, and I go and do my job. And um, I had to go into the kids' room, and I, I tell you, God works in, like, amazing ways. And he confirms things in your heart and in your spirit in amazing ways. So I go into the kids' wing, and um, one of the guys is giving a pep talk, one of our male leaders. He's giving a pep talk, talk on stage, and he's saying, uh, I'm turning around to walk out of the room. Don't even, I'm not really even listening to him, but I hear him say, kids, whatever you do, do well. And he says, isn't that right, Miss Melissa? And I turn around, you know, and I give him, because this is my signature move, double thumbs. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, kids, you know. And um, he says, I heard her preach that a while back, and I'll never forget it. And he confirmed, like, let's pop up that picture of me again. God I, and when he said that, I mean, it popped me back to when he said, I heard her preach that a while back. 
um, it popped me back to this picture. Like, I actually saw this picture. It was, you know, it's one that went across on Facebook. And it's like he shook me back three years. And um, everything that had been going on for the past three years had just finally come full circle for me. And what the devil meant to be such an ugly stronghold in my life had stopped me in my tracks. And it was finally, you know, making its way around. And I had allowed this man to pause my life and my focus for more than three years. And another man allowed the Holy Spirit to speak through him and confirm what the Lord wanted me to remember about the day. Not the vulgar, nasty memories, but the butterflies. Fear drives people to do and say and just feel crazy things. And it can just trap you. So the last couple months, um, Rahab the prostitute has been mentioned several times from this pulpit. And I've been reading her story over and over and over again, and I knew God was really pointing me towards Rahab and her story. And no matter how many times I read it, I was really struggling with um, why Rahab helped the spies in Joshua. In Joshua 2, she helped two spies. And I was really struggling and working through that, and I just kept reading it. And finally, God revealed it to me, and, you know, with the help of my pastor husband, he really helped me out. So in Joshua 2, Rahab is a prostitute and most likely the owner or the innkeeper of the establishment. And her place probably was on the outside of the wall of Jericho. And so two spies were sent by Joshua um, just to scout out the land and see what the fight was going to be like and see what they had to do. So they go and they go and they go into Rahab's inn or brothel, whatever it is. And they go in there, they go into her inn and, um, you know, they thought it was probably going to be an inconspicuous place. Lots of people come in and out. It was a good place for them to go in and not be recognized. Well, um, they were recognized. And so the king of Jericho sent his men and told him, you know, confront Rahab. So they go to Rahab and they say, bring us out the men. We want the men that came to you, you know, give them to us. And well, in this whole thing, she goes, she takes the two spies up to the roof. She hides them. She hides them under some something like flats of something. And um, she hides them, comes back down, and she's like, oh, those men are long gone. They didn't stick around here. I sent them on their way. She's like, if you hurry, you probably can catch them. I think they went that way. And so the Kingsmen believed her, and because, I mean, they probably thought she was aligned with them, for one. But they believe her. They go out the gates, and they close the gates behind the men. So this brings us to Joshua 2.8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, they're still on the roof, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in fear or terror. She goes on to tell them, we know how you've defeated Sion and Og and how you've taken their land. We know that you've destroyed all their people. And we've heard how the Lord parted the Red Sea and you walked across on dry land from Egypt. So verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one, no one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. I'm really convinced that she did a lot of what she did out of fear originally. Um, it just fear of what they could do, what their God would do to them. So she tells them, you know, now when your people come back and destroy our city, remember what I did for you. 
please, you know, save me, save my whole family, my brothers, sisters, whatever. Um, remember me. Remember what I did for you. And so um, she lets them out the window, and they climb down a long scarlet cord, and they let her, um, they tell her before they leave, leave the cord out the window, leave the scarlet cord hanging out the window. We'll remember where you're at. We'll remember you if you keep your word and you let us escape. And when we come back to destroy you or your town, we'll save you and your family. So this story really blows my mind. You guys should go to Joshua 2, read the whole thing. It's really cool. But we were just at district council a few weeks ago, and the speaker was a missionary, and he had lots of great stories. He loved convincing people to love Jesus and people from other religions. Um, what he did, his specialty was breaking bread, bringing people in, Hindu, Buddhist, whatever, and they would share stories and life, and then that's kind of how he captured people and, and got them into relationship with Christ. Well, he's telling the story, and he had one guy who was really, really good friends with um, and like I said, they did not share the same God. They did not share the same belief system, but they shared life together, hardships, different things. So one day this guy comes running to his house and he's knocking on his door and, you know, Joshua, Joshua, Joseph, Joseph. His name is Joseph. Sorry, I looked at my notes. Um, he says, Joseph, Joseph, I was talking to my sister. Sorry, I have a bad, but he's, he's ethnic or whatever. You know, I'm talking to my sister and he says, she's having, a, she's telling me she's having a hard time and I'm telling her, oh, you should pray to Jesus. And then I said, oh my, I think I'm a Christian. So it was kind of cool that he belonged before he actually believed that he belonged. And I, love, I loved the story and it stuck out to me that day. And I wonder if this is what happened with Rahab, you know, in Joshua. It starts with fear, a good, healthy fear of the Lord. And she goes up to the rooftop and she just starts talking to them about, you know, they're God, and look, we're scared to death of all of you people. I know your God parted the sea. You walked across on dry land. You're destroying everyone east of the Jordan. Um, I will hide you because no one has the courage here to deal with you, but I'll hide you. But then verse 13, she says, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. And I wonder, did she think to herself, Oh, my, I think I'm a Christian. I believe in the one true God. Maybe I do believe in the Israelites' God. I love the core value series and how every one of our core value beliefs has come, come around. And they're like they intertwine like a rope, basically. And they've said every week, you can't have one core value. You can't have one of our core values without another core value. And one of our core values is no one is perfect and everyone is welcome. We believe you can belong to North Shore before you believe. Rahab was actively working and being a part of the mission before I, it sounded like she even believed that she, you know, she was a part of it. And this is what I believe Breaking Free does in Minnesota. I think that they get them in their doors or they go to the streets and they go and talk to them and they scatter seeds, trying to build relationships with the women. And they show them that they can belong before they'll actually ever believe that they can be free. Why do we want people to belong? Because then they will believe. Because people far from God do matter to God. I want to make a disclaimer here too, that people's circumstances don't always reflect whether they have had an experience or not with Christ. I believe we serve a big God and he is all-knowing and all-powerful. 
I believe in a big grace that God is able to see the whole picture when we're only able to see through a small speck in his lens. Psalms 56, 3, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Let this scripture, let, it, let this be a scripture we keep close to our hearts. I'm not going to tell you to not be afraid. Sometimes life and people dish us out really scary circumstances. Sometimes the devil literally knocks down your door. Sometimes people, evil people, um, bulldoze their way into your safe haven and leave you feeling naked and alone. Maybe your fear is the past. Maybe it's the future. Maybe it's your children or your spouse. Maybe it's the unknown. Maybe you're scared of sickness, finances, marriage. A big fear um, is driven by loneliness, isolation, anxiety. Every one of us could pick something that paralyzes us. The things we're talking about today are super scary. Human trafficking is a scary epidemic that is happening everywhere. But let our fear drive us to the Lord and let it drive us in the right direction as Rahab's did. And I want to say that again, Psalms 56.3, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. And that's what I'm going to do. Let us create an opportunity for these women and children who are preyed upon and sought out and who can be used and abused over and over and over again. I don't think Terry said this in the in the service, but she did the first one. The human body can be used and used and used over and over again. She has, she has victims who are as young as 10 years old and the oldest is 81 years old. We can be used forever. Drugs, one and done. Drinking, one and done. Women, children, young boys, men, over and over and over again. Let the fear drive us in the right direction. I'm going to repeat this. Let us create an opportunity for these who can, let us create an opportunity for these women and children who are preyed upon and sought out and who can be used and abused over and over and over again. Let us create an opportunity for them to get out. Yeah. We can do this. Yeah. I said to God, I just prayed, what can I do, God? What can I do, God? What can I do? And he told me, you can raise money this time. He said, you can get them to give, meaning I can get you to give, <laughs> North Shore to give. So let's unite together, let's break free together, and let's help others do the same. Please come back tonight at 6 p.m. If you can't come tonight, give us some money before you go today. <laughs> but please come back tonight. <laughs> This time, this is what we can do to help fight against human trafficking because everyone matters to God. That's so good. So good. People far from God matter to God. I had this thought in the first service, just at the end, as I was thinking through Rahab and what Melissa was saying, and you know, oftentimes we, we think of people in that situation, prostitutes and stuff. And, and listen, we all have our rocks. We do. 
Melissa said, man, I have a hard time just assuming that these women are far from God because they're in that situation. I realized the rock that I had. That, that rock that I had, I was ready to, to throw because I've labeled them by their situation, but their situation doesn't dictate their salvation. And um, so I was thinking about Rahab, and I don't know if you know this, but if you read in the Gospels, Rahab is mentioned in the lineage of Christ. Rahab, think about this. Rahab is a part of the family of God. The physical family of God. Rahab was Boaz's mother. If you know the book of Ruth, Boaz is like the best character in scripture aside from Jesus. Literally, Boaz doesn't do anything wrong. It's, it's Jesus, then Boaz, and then David, and everybody else down here, right? Rahab was Boaz's mother. Boaz had a son, Obed. Obed had a son. His name was David. David. Jesse. Then Jesse had a son named David. You Bible scholars over here, zip it. Listen, she was far from God. She was a prostitute in a pagan land. But God had his eye on her and said, you know what, even she matters. Even she matters. Now, who knows? There may be some women that are far from God in Minneapolis or North Dakota, here in Hastings, that are involved in a world that, that we look at and we think, man, it's seedy, it's dark, and we want to run away from it. But God runs to it, doesn't he? And who knows? Maybe there's a Rahab in there. Somebody who, we wouldn't think it now, but has the potential to radically, radically impact the kingdom of God. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.